Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hello from a rainy and cold Crop Doctors Podcast studio. Tom is here with me this afternoon. We have a special guest, Mr. Hank Jones. Thank you all for having me. From Franklin Parish, Louisiana. The big city of Winsboro. Winsboro, Louisiana. So Hank is in town for a, well, y'all, y'all had an AMVAC meeting, and since we were in the same building, we decided to grab him and do a podcast because he's always given us really good feedback on our show, so we wanted to take advantage of him being in town and see what he had on his mind. So, Hank, good to see you. Thank you all for having me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, my workers are too. They, um, they it kind of gives me some validity whenever y'all keep saying the things that I tell them. And so it makes me look a little bit smarter than maybe I really am. So I'm just, I'm just repeating what y'all say to me. That sounds like a father and his son or daughter, you know, they don't listen to you whenever you tell them something, but when somebody else says the exact same thing. And y'all are out of state. So you're experts. So, so Hank and I have a, I guess a connection. What years were you at LSU? 2000, 2002, 2003, something like that. All right, so Hank and I didn't overlap, but I, so our connection would be Don Cook and Jeff Gore, who Hank worked with in school. I was gone by then. I was still in school, but I was gone from LSU. So we have a, a connection through Don and Jeff. Hank's an entomologist by training. That's right. And an ag consultant right now, Don and Jeff and I were um, together in school under Dr. Roger Leonard. They were working on their PhDs. Well, I was working on my master's, and um, I tell everybody I was probably Don and Jeff's first grad student, too, because they taught me most everything that I know right now. So uh, I'm indebted to those guys a lot. Everybody's got somebody like that. You know, Richard Costello, who you have worked yep. with over the years. Richard taught me a whole lot of what I know when, yep. when we he were in well. school and other guys, too. Well, Hank, take a couple seconds and, and tell folks what you do. I'm an ag consultant in um, northeast Louisiana, uh, working several parishes in northeast Louisiana, scouting cotton and rice and soybeans, corn, wheat, milo. Probably no, uh, not untypical for any consultant in the Delta. You know, if it grows, you know, we're checking it. So uh, get to work with some great farmers and, um, you know, really value my relationships with all the guys that uh, work at the university level and feed me the information, you know, such as you guys that I need to make my recommendations and do what I do. I mentioned that Hank's a long time listener to this show, so he knows this is coming. Hank, after you're working all day, you hit the front door or the back door, whichever door you go in at the house, what is the most terrifying thing that you might hear from your wife? Hmm. Not like seriously terrifying, (laughs) annoyingly terrifying. You know, usually my phone will ring during the day if it's something terrifying, you know, and needs immediate attention. But uh, most of the times it's, you know, you need to sit down. I need to talk with you. And and she tells the kids to go to their room, you know. So if the kids on a room, you know, if, if it's something like that, I know something bad has happened. Or sometimes I hope you're not going to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously the precursor to me being mad. It's like a disclaimer. Yes, yes. You know, if I tell you something, you promise not to get mad? No. (laughs) But, um, you know, I've got three kids. They range from 8 to 13. I will say this. uh, I am as good and successful as my wife allows me to be. 
Uh, she's a stay-at-home mom and takes care of the kids. I would, and keeps I their, would echo that. It keeps their busy schedules going, and uh, she works as equally hard as I do managing farmers and farmland and stuff like that. You know, so my compliments to her because uh, if she wasn't doing what she was doing, I wouldn't be in this seat talking to y'all right I, now. I got the same thing going on at my house. It's not not just the two of y'all. It's it goes on at the Allen household too. So the origin of that question uh, was just maybe 15 minutes later than usual for this time of year. So I walk in the door, Amanda meets me at the, you walk through the laundry room, then you walk into the kitchen. She meets me right there at the laundry room door. And she says, I think it's okay, but we might have a problem. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, I've heard that one. Well, you know, and a lot of times, you know, whenever I leave Winsboro, I may be two hours away from home. And it nothing ever breaks or tears up, catches on fire, or you know crumbles to the ground. Whenever I'm five minutes away from home and I can get back and help, it's always whenever I'm the furthest possible point, you know, from home. And you'll get those. How quick can you be home? You know, what time will you be back? And usually it's, well, tell me what's wrong first, and I'll tell you how quickly I can be back. (laughs) What is the level of urgency? Right. Hank, one of the things we've talked about this winter leading into spring, it's kind of difficult to tell which season we're in right now. Sunday was 80. Would be, it's not 80 now. <clears throat> it's not 80 right now, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's turned winter again. Would be all of the supply chain issues and ancillary bleed in that you get with fuel and fertilizer and everything else associated with that. How are you handling some of those weightier topics with your farmers as we get into the 2022 season? I will say that for this upcoming growing season, it's probably been the most pressure that I've ever seen farmers be under in terms of planning and by I say planning, just having the game plan in place, but having the alternative game plans in place. And almost as if we go back to even last summer, Whenever we could see some of these shortages fixing to happen uh, with some of our insecticides, and then as we got into wanting to put out fall fertilizers, whenever we first started hearing about that rise in price, and we really knew last fall that this coming growing season, we were fixing to have to sharpen our pencils pretty good to make sure that we were going to be the most efficient. You know, I'm a big believer in efficiency on farms. And so when we really sit down and we started going over budgets and then we realized quick that these budgets have to be modified weekly because the cost of our inputs are going up weekly and then we started finding out that oh dear well, we may not get all the roundup we want and then we may not have liberty at all and then dual was going to be short then you start hearing about it's like a domino effect everything that carried into these rising prices such as fuel, what you were saying. Um, I've got guys that were, they're filling up everything that will hold fuel on a farm right now just to make sure that they can buy it at this price and not have to buy it down the road when it may be a dollar a gallon higher. Yeah. Gas here is plus 70 cents from last week, Wednesday to Monday. A lot of these guys, they're keeping up with what's going on. But I've always felt that it's my job to present the alternatives to what we have been doing to make sure that if we don't get dual this year, you know, what if we run out? Well, what what are the alternatives? And then if we run out of that, what else can we do to make this work this year? 
So a lot of it is having the game plan in place, but even playing out scenarios that if we don't have this product or if it's priced out of our range, what can we substitute for these products? And we'll see how it plays out. As of right now today, my farmers have been able to purchase everything that they've wanted to purchase. Now, that's as of today. But I have substituted Gramoxone in the place of Roundup for a lot of my burndown applications out of fear that we're not going to have enough Roundup in the season. May not have been the perfect choice, but we feel that we probably were played that hand in a way that we needed to make that decision. So I think right now it's literally a week-by-week deal that we're looking at right now, just trying to figure out, all right, what has changed since last week. I don't think anything in terms of a crop shift has taken place other than I'll have a few more acres of cotton this year. I look for a lot of corn to probably still be planted. I know early on, a lot of guys were forecasting, well, with these higher fertilizer prices, corn's just going to go by the wayside. But where I'm at in Louisiana on irrigated ground, if you can raise over 200 bushel corn at today's price, which I think was 680 something, and with the positive basis, you're probably looking at close to $7 a bushel for corn. It's a no-brainer to still plant corn. So... I don't know that other than um, a little bit more cotton and less rice this year that uh, the crop mix is really going to be impacted that much. Now, in terms of profitability, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But uh, I really hope and pray that the commodity prices will stay high long enough for us to pay for the fertilizer that we bought. I don't think there's any way the commodity prices are not going to stay high, and I'm saying that like I know like I'm an economist or something. Tom sent me a list last night from something. Assume it was a semi-reputable source. The the numbers of the stuff you knew seemed accurate. Record high for wheat. I've had people ask me about growing out some cover crop wheat right? and try to kill the, the radishes or the rye out and grow a grain crop out of it. I think it was a reputable economist that had that somewhere on Twitter. And I think that the numbers did seem measurable right. at least but they didn't and i don't recall what the time range was but uh-huh. i think it's pretty fascinating to look at those increases because it covered a lot of things in addition to just ag type commodities it covered you know gold nickel platinum and some precious yeah. metals and things nickel that are- nickel is at like a tremendous all-time high right now it's fascinating to me that we're in this era that you know wow cotton's over a dollar it's depressing because you, I think they will stay up. I, that's where I started this. I think they will stay up. But everything else is so far up, too. It just washes it out. You may make the best corn crop you've ever had, and you may not make a dime just because everything is so expensive. Yep. Well, but I think if you pencil some of those things out and consider it from a long-range standpoint, I mean, obviously – numerous inputs in this particular situation we're in right now may be more costly, but you don't want to skip one of the pillars up front right. and say, hey, let's let's drop all my fertilizer at this point because that'll not only have implications for the 22 season, that oh, implies that you're going to have an issue in 23 and likely right. 24. We've mentioned that previously, you know, fertilizer and herbicides targeting primarily pigweeds are the ones that you just can't hardly 
not utilized because they'll bury you. You get behind to the point that you can't catch up, and fertilizer goes in that same vein. You just can't afford not to. And then plan out that you can't expect that each of these products that somebody does a good job marketing will be additive in nature that, oh, you'll expect to see this type of a benefit or increase with this. And then somebody else has a benefit and an increase with that and a benefit and an increase with a third product. They don't add together. A worry that I have, you know, we've talked about Roundup, Dual, Clethodim, all these products that we've discussed about being short but now with the fuel right does that further confound those problems because this fuel thing not that we didn't see it coming and not that we weren't kind of ticking that way but the spike the last week has been a shock to the system and there's no indication that it's going to change well i think the thing that it blows up a budget you know, so, you know, most of these guys, whenever you go to a bank and you're trying to get a crop loan, there's a budget that you kind of go by. And when we see this astronomic increase almost within a week, that doesn't seem to have an end in sight on fuel prices, fertilizer prices and all that. How do you budget for that? That's that's what worries me is that um, the plans that we made the first week of January – well, they're thrown in the trash, and they're at the dump now. I mean, we've had to scrap that and just rework everything. And this, there's no – the volatility in the market, maybe that's how I should put it. It, it. There's so many moving targets that you really don't know. And we'll talk about fertilizer, for example. You know, you have to write checks now. You know, there is no credit when it comes to get purchasing fertilizer at this moment. And so it's not inconceivable that you would pay for fertilizer for corn right now and what if it stays wet for the next six weeks? Then you don't use it. And so if your other crop was beans, you know, I don't know if you can just go back and return it and get your money back, you know, at that point. You know, you paid money for it. But um, there's some uncertainties in that avenue where it comes to even fuel. I think that's why some of these guys, like I said, they're putting fuel in, in everything that will hold fuel right now. And they're dragging diesel tanks out of the woods right now and shoring them up just to make sure that they'll hold diesel cleaning them up right now just to put diesel in it right now and hopefully to get them to maybe through the first watering is what one of my guys said that he had enough right now to get him through the first watering and then after that who knows i mean because that first watering's june probably in corn and so who knows what's going to be going on then it seems to me that there's only so much that these crop prices can go up. I don't see how somebody in the world can keep buying, you know, beans if they go to $20 a bushel. Well, who's going to buy those? Right. But there's nothing that, you know, fuel is used in more than just agriculture. There's nothing that can stop it, you know, because it's going to be in more demand. So I can see where the, some of these input costs, and you look at everything that fuel is used for, it's used to make fertilizers. You know, there there's byproducts of it and some of these chemicals that we use and stuff like that. So, as fuel prices go up, logically our commodities go up, but it may have more of an impact on the products that we use for inputs, such as chemicals and fertilizers like that, that there may be this weird imbalance at some point. It's not there yet, but and hopefully we don't get there, but the fuel thing right there to me is probably has the chance to be the most impactful because I think it's probably got more room to run up than everything else. 
I think the one topic that when we've talked about all the supply chain things, and I think will be much more important as we get into the season, would be integrated pest management and how we manage the crop from a more integrated perspective when we think about managing pests that in our world, Hank, would be bugs and and diseases. And how we focus on that to get farmers really behind the principle of you don't necessarily need to make automatic applications of some some of these things and we need to be really looking to see and digesting what's in the field to make a decision then from a management standpoint. Uh, Is that something you're starting to discuss now? Well, it's really something every year, you know, that we discuss with integrated pest management. You know, that's kind of the tenets, you know, of kind of how I operate, you know, is on those principles of IPM is looking for multiple sources, uh, you know, identifying the pest correctly, but looking for multiple sources that we can use to keep that problem in check and keeping it from having an economic uh, impact negatively on, on the crops that we raise. So whenever you get in these situations where maybe margins are going to be tight, you know, those principles play in and have to be implemented even further you know, there's not enough room in the budgets these days, it looks like, to really add to or take away from. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, I applaud you guys for is really keeping us up to date about what what are our issues, what technologies do we have, what chemicals are going to work best. That's where you guys are invaluable to us and that y'all are giving us the tools to operate with. You know, with the entomologists keeping us up to date on, uh, you know, updates with thresholds, um, with people like you, Tom, you know, with fungicides, you know, helping us to understand the value of um, the disease triangle. Pyramid. It's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. I'm sorry. The the (laughs) disease pyramid. Uh, My apologies to my pathologist friends. Um, Well, I didn't want to be rude to the guest. Right, but those tenants, you know, having a susceptible host, the right environment, and the disease present, you've got to know where you're at in that system if you do find some disease and that it may not be something that's worth spending money on just because you see a disease randomly walking through a field one day. It doesn't mean you're going to have an outbreak five days later. You've got to be able to digest what you're seeing in the field. Sometimes it's not comfortable to sit and watch. But sometimes that's your best thing that you can do. Well, and I think with such high commodity prices, I think that really factors back into you have to have a plan. And the plan needs to be that you need to get out of this year into another year where it may not be such a such a tight margin situation. So plan ahead from a standpoint that what you do right now does have long range implications and it's not just factored into what goes on this season. One of the things that I'm going over with farmers right now is a lot of soil sample data and trying to, um, I guess, interpret some of those and making sure that what fertilizers that we can use based on a budget you know, what's the most efficient way for us to use those, um, the, even with the timings of them? You know, do we want to put it all out up front? Do we want to split applications? Because I've said there, there's some of these products are going to be so expensive that we've got to do them right this year. You know, and, and Jason, you'll, you'll hopefully agree, if Roundup's going to be $15 an acre this year, every time we put it out, nobody's going to want to have the – it's not the luxury of having $5 an acre Roundup where you say – I'll pick up that grass on that next shot. You know, it, it costs $15 an acre now. And that's why I'm really encouraging a lot more pre-emerges 
to hopefully get us through that stage. And kind of like you said, we may have to live with a little bit of grass on little parts of the field or morning glory or two or some coffee beans every now and then. To second what you said, we can't live with pigweeds. And so, and that's kind of the foundational part of it. But everything's got to play into, at the end of the day, the farmer has to make a profit to stay in business. And a lot of times it just boils down to getting out in the fields, looking and finding them, you know, what pests we have, and then trying to see what tools we have to work with and then making the decision from there. And hopefully we have the tools to work with this year. You mentioned soil samples. And, of course, we mentioned that the situation's fluid and feels like it's changing almost by the day. But do you get a sense that guys are maybe a little more dialed in to their management right now than maybe in some other years? For example, the soil samples. Instead of saying, well, let's just do 100 and 100 across the board, maybe looking into some more precision applications or at least changing field by field rather than making wholesale applications. That's one thing that I'm going through is looking at, you know, for the samples that I pulled last year, just sitting down with the farmers field by field and saying we're not going to be able to afford to put out what the soil lab is recommending, you know, because some of that would be $300 an acre worth of dry and so we can't afford to do that. Going back and trying to find data from our universities that say, all right, what point can we make get a response from what we put out? And then variable rating based off of those levels. And so sometimes what Mississippi State or University of Arkansas, LSU may say, may vary from what the soil labs say. And just trying to get back into, you know, a comfortable recommendation that is not going to be near as much money as what, someone may recommend, but making sure that we can get it out efficiently because at P and K per ton is roughly eight fifty a ton, you know, for both of those. And with urea being nine hundred and thirty two percent and all these I mean, they're just astronomically high. So I've told them that we really have to research the best ways to put them out, the timings and stuff like that, and really trying to take advantage of variable rate. But making sure that the investment that you make in those nutrients you're going to get it back. And I think particularly the herbicide side, we've talked about leaving Roundup out or replacing Roundup. So then the question that I pose to a lot of people, is it less expensive to leave the Roundup now and risk having to make two applications or go ahead and paying the extra price and making the optimum treatment on the first trip. And I think sometimes it goes either way. It, right. it probably depends on the target. It probably depends on the, the herbicide mix that is the appropriate for the target species. So I don't think it's a black and white deal. I think that's going to vary. But there's a lot of decisions that get made, and we talk about this often, but big money decisions <sighs> get made on the spur of the moment and really, it'll scare you if you dwell on it, the, the decisions that you help guys make on a daily basis. But now, with all of this, it's that much more complicated, and it's that much more stressful. Right, right, it is. Um, I would hate to know that, and most consultants probably feel this way, I don't want to know how much money and you know, pesticides I recommend every year. That would probably scare me a little bit just to know. But um, as we 
enter into this year, I mean, there's going to be realistically $50 an acre shots in cotton. You know, there's going to be 50 or $60 an acre shots in corn, you know, and beans and all this stuff. That's rice money right there whenever we start talking about, you know, herbicide applications. Right. You know, I think we were talking earlier today about atrazine is $12 a quart. That blows my mind. Roundup being $15 an acre. And you really don't have any choice. That's just what it's going to be. You know, you can't really shop that around, you That's know, right. to, to, to find the cheaper price. The message that I'm preaching to my farmers, though, is it's going to be more expensive to make these applications. Do them right. You know, make sure that we're calibrated, making sure that if it says it's four hours rain fast, don't put it out with the clouds coming. We can't do this over again. You know, is to really, if we're going to spend the money, making sure that it's going to be applied correctly, making sure that we're going to get our, our money back on it and make money off of it. Thanks, Hank. Really appreciate you stopping by today. I know you were here for something else, so that's fantastic that we can piggyback things. Well, I appreciate y'all letting me uh, have this opportunity. I admire you guys. Um, I'll, I'll tell y'all this. Before this podcast started, Angus and Bobby found me at a meeting one day and said that they were running the idea for this podcast by me. And they said, well, you're from out of state. Do you see yourself listening to a bunch of Mississippi State scientists talk about issues? Is that something that you would listen to? I said, no. (laughs) I said, I'd never listen to that. It's not from Louisiana. And so I remember Bobby texting me, hey, we dropped the podcast. I want you to listen to it. I haven't missed one since. I don't care if, even if it's not even something that I'm interested in, I will still tune in to listen. I don't know how many, I've done well over a hundred by now. I would think. I I think this is great. It's almost an archive of the issues that we're facing right now. And it'll be really interesting for some guys to go back 10 years from now and listen to the first podcast and listen to what we're talking about today. You know, from a historical standpoint, you know, I said, this is a neat, you know, it's kind of like Owen Taylor with Ag Facts, I thought, you know, that these things are archiving the history of what we do. And it'll be neat to go back years from now and kind of listen back to see what we were battling at any given day and time. That's high company there. I don't know that I'll still be sitting behind this mic in 10 years, but I might. I'll be here in 10 years. Who knows? That's a given. I I get young kids put through college. Really appreciate you coming, Hank. We appreciate the the nice comments. That's that help. That's helpful. It it swells our egos at least for the afternoon. Uh, we really appreciate the regular listeners. Till you step outside and get that blast of north yeah, wind, in cold your face. air, and it rains on me again. I know, and there's but, nowhere for the rain to go on my bald head. Well, I feel honored that maybe I took Don Cook's place today. Well, Don was going to be here. Don had a conflict. No, oh, I mean, and I don't know that we would have got off. With one episode, if you and him were in here at the same time, no, there's no telling what we would get. No, you might, we might still be going at seven o'clock. Just don't get Don and Jeff and me in here at the same time. Well, there's not enough microphones for that. Thank y'all so much. I really appreciate everything y'all do. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.